Welcome to Listen, Learn, Live, in no particular order. I'm your host, Joel Stang. Today I've decided to talk about some of the key themes outlined in my essay on climate change. The title of my paper was, The Collective Heroic Quest for Climate Change Education. In it, I discuss why we need good climate change education. I also consider how we should do this. Also, because I'm an administrator and I really want to make a difference in my school, I'll outline some of the ways I feel principals can implement climate change education in their schools. Let's get started. How do you tell someone who already knows that they're doing something wrong that they need to make a change? That's the problem with climate change. We all know it's wrong, but we're not willing to do anything about it. It's so easy to place the blame on someone else, and realistically, that's what's happening in our society these days. Honestly, this is just human nature. It's far easier to blame someone else for your misfortune than to look in the mirror and see that you're the one who needs to make a change. We're all guilty of this from time to time. It's just really, really hard to admit that we're wrong sometimes. If you look on Facebook, Twitter, or any news media outlet, the results are always the same. Polarity across the board. Everyone happens to be against something. In Canada, the carbon tax is now in effect, with two sides of the table banging their fists and aggressively tapping their fingers on their phones to share an article which aligns with their tribe. They spew information at each other, not 100% certain that they're correct, but it adds fuel to their proverbial fire. Greta Thunberg, the young fire starter from Sweden, who took the world by storm with her passionate speech at the United Nations Climate Change Conference in Poland this year, uses that same strategy. Us versus you. My tribe is better than your tribe. It's effective, yes, but once again extremely polarizing. Do I think students should be walking out of school because our society has done a poor job of managing our planet? No, but I understand that people need to make a point sometimes. And this level of activism is worthy, even an exemplary level of climate change action. However, it's very polarizing. I mentioned Greta Thunberg because she is a wonderful example for our youth. I highly respect her as an individual and as a social action hero. But in the corner, in a distant part of the social media spectrum, there exists a larger audience. A group of individuals who are sitting and waiting for all of this to play out. They are not the voice of climate change, or the voice of contrarian climate change. They're the ones who haven't made up their mind. I suppose this podcast is intended for those people the ones who want to know more before they speak up. Let's start with just a few facts. 97% of scientists agree that the Earth is warming due to human activities. NASA tells us the Earth's upper atmosphere is in fact cooler than it's been in the past, yet our lower atmosphere is steadily warming. Most recent reports suggest Canada is warming at twice the global rate, And we've had our fair share of forest fire seasons in the most recent years. In fact, I was chased away from my home on the pristine shores 
of Lac La Ronge, Saskatchewan in the summer of 2015. Although I've experienced this one temporary setback, most of the time I and most people notice the weather. I've settled back in my daily routines in my home and nothing's really changed. We live a finite life and because of this we only really react to immediate threats. A thunderstorm, it's a threat immediately. That's because it's a weather phenomenon. We squirrel away into our homes and wait for it to pass and most times it does without damaging anything. The earth gradually warming at 6 degrees Celsius by the end of the century, thereby potentially spelling doom for all of us, that's climate change. Humans are causing it and once again, 97% of scientists agree. Like the frog that is initially placed in a pot at room temperature water, it won't recognize the change in water temperature as it slowly boils and dies. It's this lack of inaction from our governments, our municipalities, our policymakers, and our own selves that is prolonging this problem. Greta gets it. That's why she's so mad. So yes, I do think we have an ethical responsibility as a society to set an intention for a sustainable future. It's true our children really do depend on all of us to make changes. Based on what we're being told, we need to take urgent action. There's nothing wrong with this. We need to set short-term and long-term goals as a society. Right now, what we need to fight is our habits and norms. We love our patterns. We love consistency. We don't like change. This is something that is extremely hard to do later in our life, but we must make a greater effort to make changes now. It's hard not to take your car to work when you can walk, but realistically, you probably could walk bike or carpool to work. From birth, our children watch us carefully. They emulate us and improve on our methods. Since the Industrial Revolution, we have improved on our use of extraction of fossil fuels. We've also improved on our agricultural methods. Now we have a population of over 7.5 billion people. We all want nice warm homes, refrigerators, vehicles, technology, and a life of comfort. How do we ethically provide this for all of these people? Colonization and capitalism, globalism has oppressed people for the benefit of a marginal few. Is this fair? From an environmental standpoint, we all need to make some changes. And yet, how often are you told that climate change is occurring? Weekly? Daily? The truth is that we all know climate change is happening. In fact, over 50% of Canadians agree that climate change is human-caused. However, the real issue is a failure to act. Most industrial nations at some point have set intentions to reduce their carbon emissions. But they aren't meeting their targets, and many are in fact getting worse. So what causes this general sense of apathy? We're driven by many factors. Firstly, we're motivated by our own needs. How am I supposed to get to work in the morning without my truck? I need to heat my home when it's minus 40 degrees Celsius for three weeks straight. I really need to take a hot vacation when the winter is just too much, so I hop on a plane to Mexico. And I really enjoy eating a banana with my oatmeal in January. Did I mention that I live in northern Saskatchewan? It's really 
really cold and remote up here. Secondly, I and you have been given the scientific knowledge for years now about climate change. But we're starting to realize that science is not the answer in our education systems. Actually, in society as a whole. People are more likely to listen to their families and friends' worldview rather than what scientific evidence has to tell us. As social creatures, we're more likely to align our views with those of the majority because we fear ridicule and isolation. Even if we don't necessarily agree with the group, that doesn't mean we won't follow the group. It's easier to be status quo. It's a tricky world that we live in. There's a lot to digest on the political spectrum, so let's stay focused on the educational side. Canada has yet to make climate change education a big priority in the classrooms. One thing I mentioned was that science was not the answer. This is also a problem in most Canadian classrooms. Most environmental education is restricted to a single unit or a specific subject, when it would be more effective as a holistic and multi-dimensional approach which spans from K to 12 across all subject areas. This way, we are reaching the social sciences, the sciences, the health curriculum, and examining alternative cultural ways of thinking about environmental education. I personally believe our school system is flawed because it's unbalanced. We focus far too much on collecting data, standardizing, and pushing for more teacher accountability. Teachers have run out of time to teach or plan to teach lessons which motivate youth because we are always racing for a deadline, always trying to get our data in. Those things are great and very needed in education, but right now we are so far on one side of the scale that we forgot to treat our students as human beings. They also need to learn about being a good human. One of our biggest issues in the classroom is behavior and inclusive education. Teachers spend a lot of time dealing with behavioral issues. Student behavior, although related to climate change education in that it could improve their behavior, is a topic for another day. Something to consider is that all teachers adjust their lessons based on their community. If a teacher works in a rural setting that thrives off fossil fuels or agriculture, is the teacher going to actually address climate change education in the same way as a teacher that instructs in an urban setting like Vancouver? One study found that a teacher's political ideology was a more powerful predictor of their classroom approach. This is human nature, but realistically, teachers really need to make a commitment to teach climate change education because ethically, it's the right thing to do, regardless of your political views. I'll of course at this point encourage you to read my essay, The Collective Heroic Quest for Climate Change Education. And no, I'm not making money off of this. Um, I love money. You can totally give me some if you'd like, but that's not the purpose of this whole podcast. The paper does go into a bit more detail about climate change education, and I'd like to encourage you to please let me know what you think. My opinions can always be swayed. They're never static. In my paper, I suggest that we need to understand our communities, their beliefs, and their needs. Secondly, 
It's critical for political groups, private industry, education, and local leaders to strike a balanced approach to their policies to ensure that forward progress is being made in climate change education. This must be collaborative, and we should ask for our leaders to collectively work together to support one another in implementing change. Forget polarity, this only creates resentment and divisiveness. When Greta Thunberg blamed the adults for climate change, she forgot to thank her parents and country for working so hard to create a life of comfort and innovation. Our lives are finite, therefore, we're impatient and expect changes in the now. You can't dismantle something that's been built for over thousands of years. People hate change, things take time. There needs to be an exchange of ideas and resources from everyone. This should include politicians, educational ministers and policymakers, fossil fuel industry CEOs, scientists, social science experts, psychologists, schools, and yes, even our children. The result, a collective hero. As easy as it might be to paint everyone with the same brush, we can't. Canada is a diverse nation with many different people who are really more than just Canadian. We all come from different cultures with different experiences, which means that we all have varying approaches and ways of understanding the world. Teachers need to constantly remind themselves of who they're speaking to and where they live in the world. Climate change education can have the same ends, but ultimately will have a different means. Some communities may be very willing to change policies and talk about humans' negative impact on the environment. For example, this will most likely be true in those densely populated urban centers where public transportation may be far easier to use or access. Other places may be less willing and even might push back because climate change education could threaten their way of life. A farming community that uses large machinery to sow and harvest their crops will be less willing to accept that change that's needed because it directly affects their livelihood. This is something we must consider and approach carefully. That's why climate change is such a polarizing subject. Many times, people just feel like there's no hope. For example, religion can play a role in climate change denial or lack of action. For many, a catastrophic event like a tsunami or a tornado could be interpreted as an act of God. This allows individuals to dismiss the human-caused role in climate change or feel that it's beyond their control. Not exclusive to religion, people often find climate change overwhelming and in turn may just give up. Most people inevitably feel that their individual actions alone can't positively help the planet. It's our job as educators to help students discover the truth in the collective hero, to assist them in understanding the importance of sustainable living. We could do this by sharing with them information that explains what climate change looks like. For example, a teacher can show pictures of glaciers retreating in the Rocky Mountains, or possibly take them to the source. One of the key principles outlined in my essay is to think globally, act locally. At home, Teachers and students can examine the ways their environment has degraded over a period of time. Sometimes we think of climate change as a series of catastrophic weather events. This may be a result of climate change, but it's not the big picture. The big picture is the likelihood of raising global temperatures, droughts and failed crops, starvation and war, 
mass forced migrations of people, destruction of land and water ecosystems, and the inevitable collapse of our earth so that it can no longer sustain us. We need to acknowledge the grief that we have towards climate change. Examining the big picture and considering the phrase, think globally, act locally, helps us to consider the many different opinions of climate change, inquire into the actions of individuals and groups around the world, and finally come up with our own personalized approaches to climate change action in our communities. One of the biggest shortfalls in our education system at this point in time is our lack of funding for land-based education programming. As an elementary teacher for almost a decade, I recognized the importance of letting kids be kids from time to time. They needed to work. I was strict and had high expectations as every teacher should, but I also gave them many in-motion breaks and gave them quick opportunities to informally socialize with one another in my class. Another thing I started to push was to give them opportunities to head outside, go for hikes with me, or discuss culturally relevant material. They were asked to challenge and question why things were the way they were. Over time, I started to question why I was teaching a piece of curriculum, and I also encouraged my students to question why I was spending the time to teach them something I thought was valuable to them. Land-based education does many things, but I would like to outline a few things it does well. It gives youth a chance to think on a collective level because of the powerful shared experiences they encounter. This type of teaching also gives youth a chance to learn in a different way, even consider a different way of thinking which may align more closely with indigenous ways of knowing. Finally, land-based education allows youth to take deep and meaningful connections with the land, seeing themselves as part of the land. There are some schools that do a great job of running land-based education programs, but I would argue that they are offered too late in a child's life. I'd mentioned before that we need to break habits, which is hard in adulthood. This is why I think it's important for children to receive land-based education programs early on, so that they can break the bad habits we impart on our own kids. I'm sure you've heard the phrase from someone, I'm no climate change expert, so I don't really want to comment on environmental education. That's what most educators will likely tell you about environmental education. I think that's a totally legitimate excuse for why we don't have schools that push for sustainability education. It's also why educational policymakers need to be the first ones to make climate change education a priority for our schools. ACE, or Action for Climate Empowerment, which was created by UNESCO and the UNFCC, created a set of guidelines which requires all nations that are parties to the convention to provide resources for building awareness local capability, information sharing, and ongoing engagement. Those teachers who are rightfully hesitant to teach environmental principles, they need some help. In fact, a study was published in 2016 that showed two-thirds of teachers in the United States would be interested in continuing education that was focused entirely on climate change education. We all want to make change. We just don't know how to do it. So we stick to our single units on climate change each year or wait for our students to get to high school where they will maybe take a single subject like environmental sciences for a few months and then move back to calculus. By this point, we've lost any possible momentum for students to change their societal habits. So what we need is climate change education across all subject areas from K to 12. 
We need land-based education for our grade one students. Our teachers would love some resources and direction, so we're going to have to ask for someone in the province to step up and write some policies which make environmental education a priority. Our school-based administrators need to ensure that this is occurring often and that climate change education is blended into all of our subject areas. Our teachers and our children are all asking for a change. We just don't know how to break the habit, and even if we did, we are too busy focusing on our failed literacy, numeracy, and attendance rates. We all need to examine counterclimate consensus. When I suggested that we as teachers need to challenge our students to question everything, I really mean it. We should let our students know just how involved the fossil fuel industry is in pushing counterclimate change arguments. The kids need to understand why the public is so polarized on the topic of human-caused climate change. We also need to understand that there are two sides to every story and that there's a whole lot of people out there who are debating on this topic. And ultimately, there's more smaller truths than one big truth. Is exclusive renewable only energy the only answer? I'm not really sure. I know people are terrified of nuclear energy, but I think it's pretty great. And at this point, I think it's the answer to a lot of our problems, at least in the energy sector. If you have time, check out the YouTube video, Why Renewables Can't Save the Planet. Michael Schellenberger delivers a TED Talk, which really helps me to resist a simple frame. Looking at a picture, we might only observe what's inside that frame, and then our focus is too narrow. We don't look elsewhere, and we forget that there's more than what's inside that frame. Our world is complicated, which is why we need to stay away from getting sucked into rabbit holes, which frame our ideas in only one way. When I suggest we need a collective heroic quest, I'm asking teachers to explain to our students that we need to resist these simple framings. We need to look at the bigger picture and push for compromise, not polarity. Or coercion. Finally, and I think this is maybe the most important thing we can all do as Canadians, we should model rather than tell our students about climate change education. This is where leaders and teachers need to do most of the heavy lifting. Teachers need to actively find examples of people who are doing new and innovative projects that are good for our environment, then try to emulate those with their students. School divisions should balance their policies and subject areas under their humanities, sciences, and wellness of self and community. In Canada, this should include indigenous ways of knowing so that an increasingly larger Aboriginal population that has been ignored and mistreated may feel a sense of belonging in our public schools and communities. This valuable knowledge should also be equally distributed to all subject areas rather than framed as just native studies. After all, our Western worldview of the virtuous settler and colonialism has dominated public education on a holistic and multi-dimensional level for over a hundred years in Canada. It's time that we balance the scales. Climate change education. The very concept of it should equate to thinking about someone other than yourself. How we as educators initially choose to do this will be up to us on a localized level. 
We'll need to understand our community's needs and wants. Understand what drives policies on a municipal, provincial, and federal level. Then, we need to provide opportunities for students to move away from our present-day knowledge of self as one, so that they can think of self as one of many. As a school-based administrator, I've thought about my role in climate change action, and I plan to set an intention for my school and myself next year. I'll begin with modeling rather than telling. In his book, Don't Even Think About It, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Ignore Climate Change, author George Marshall said a heroic quest is needed to build a narrative of cooperation, stress cooperation, not unity. He also suggested that we should accept the spectrum of approaches to climate action. Although I've stressed the fact that we all need to collectively act as educators and other societal roles, it's unrealistic to propose that we will always agree with one another. According to another author, Candice Callison, she suggested that climate change challenges people to see themselves as part of global, environmental, industrial, and capital systems, and in many ways, it demands a co-articulation of how to locate oneself in a larger collective. This is messy and confusing. We, we will all have the same ends, but we'll need to discover our own means. No one way is the right way. You are not the answer. We, the collective hero, are the answer. That's it for the listen section of the podcast. I'd like to thank my climate change education instructor, Dr. Marcia McKenzie from the University of Saskatchewan for taking the time to develop this much needed course, as well as my fellow peers for contributing their own thoughts on the course's discussion forums. This has certainly guided my thinking throughout the process. Please take the time to scan through my notes. I've included the links to many of the things I've discussed today. Up next, in the Learn section of Climate Change Education, I will outline my personal list of climate change education design principles. These will be the principles I will use as I work to design a climate change education program in my school. I'll also provide resources that I and my class have discovered. Thank you for joining me today in Listen, Learn, Live. I'm Joel Stang. Have a great day.